Jay Leno recently retired again after hosting the Tonight Show really since 1992, I guess. And one of his most popular features, if you ever watched Jay on the Tonight Show, one of his most popular features was something called jaywalking. You ever see him when he did his jaywalking? He would go out on the street and he would interview people and he would kind of test their knowledge, see what they knew or what they didn't know. And he would test their knowledge on current events and sometimes history, just kind of general knowledge, whatever, whatever the topic was for the week. And one of the topics that he chose for jaywalking was... Can you name one of the Ten Commandments? And that night, the most popular response he got back was, God helps those who help themselves. Unfortunately, not only is that not one of the Ten Commandments, that phrase appears nowhere in the Bible at all. And yet, for some reason... That phrase continues to top a poll, the polls of the most widely known, but best known Bible verses. Back in 1997, the Barna Institute conducted a poll where they asked American teens what the central message of the Bible was. 75% of American teens responded that the central message of the Bible was. God helps those who help themselves. And I have to admit, I have been in more than one conversation with people, very good people, godly people, people who have been in Sunday school, people who have been in church, and in the middle of the conversation, sooner or later, someone says, well, you know what the good book says. God helps those who help themselves. And it makes me wonder, what is it about the popularity of this verse? What is it about the the phrase that convinces people that this is actually in the Word of God? I I think it resonates with us on a cultural level. I think it comes to us on a deeply American level. In fact, we can thank Ben Franklin for our exposure to, uh, to this verse. It was Ben Franklin in Poor Richard's Almanac in 1736 that first quoted this for us, for the United States or for America, and it really struck a chord with the American vision that day, that vision of independence, and then later when we had that whole idea of pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, of being the self-made man and that American dream, that American ideal, it really struck a chord with us. But it's not in the Bible, and in many ways it's a very unbiblical idea, and in fact it actually misrepresents the true central message of the Bible. See, the Bible is not about God helps those who help themselves. The Bible is about you are helpless. Now, if ever there was someone who spiritually was not helpless, I think it would have to be the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul had every advantage you would want spiritually. He was from God's chosen people, a member of the Jewish people, and and of the Jews. He could trace his lineage. He knew exactly where he came from, and, and, and he was a scholar. He kept the law. Paul says that he kept the law perfectly. He had every advantage, every way that he could help himself, and yet he knew there was no way he could help himself. He had no strength and no power 
of His own. In fact, Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, which we sang part of in a song earlier, Paul says, whatever gain I had, whatever help I had within myself, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. There's a very strange passage in 2 Corinthians towards the end where Paul actually boasts about what he can't do. Paul boasts about his own weakness. And to him, the conceit of thinking that he could help himself, all that did was take the attention off of Christ. Now, to this day, we wonder, what was Paul's weakness? He calls it a, a thorn in his flesh. What was Paul talking about? And we come up with all different ideas about what the thorn might have been. But whatever it was, whatever Paul's struggle, to him it was an opportunity for God to display His power. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 5-10. through 10. Actually, I'd like to back up. I'd like to start in chapter 11, verse 30. Uh, again, if you're using the Bibles in the pews in front of you, that is page 970. We encourage you to use those so we can all follow along together. But I want to begin in, in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 30. Paul says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the, of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas um, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hand. I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of that, this man, I will boast, but on, behalf, but on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weakness. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me, for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We love the story of the self-made man. We love the story of the person who through their own wit and ingenuity made a fortune, made a name for themselves, went from rags to riches, but how far do those stories actually get you? Back in 1987, number one bestseller, Trump, The Art of the Deal. Remember that book? And if you look at the tagline way down there at the bottom, it says, He makes one believe 
in the American dream again. Wow. Donald Trump's rise of fame and fortune, being known as the Donald, but what happened to all of that? <laughs> Bankruptcy, failure, moral failure, a bad haircut. And the reality is, the man you see on TV today saying, you're fired, he's just a parody. He's a parody of who this man once was. Paul says, I will not boast of myself except in my own weakness. And consider this, 2,000 years later, we're still telling the Apostle Paul's story. We're still telling it with as much strength and with as much glory to God as it was being told 2,000 years ago. Is anyone going to tell the Donald's story 2,000 years from now? Isaiah chapter 25, verse 4 Isaiah says of God, For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. Let me ask you, does that sound like God helps those who help themselves? Does it sound like God is impressed with the self-made man and their boasting? Paul says in, in Romans chapter 5, verses 6-8, through eight, he says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The good news of Jesus Christ is not that you can help yourself. The good news of Jesus Christ is rather you are helpless. But that's okay. Because God helps the helpless. And I told you that this phrase, we, we know this phrase, God helps those who help themselves, in part because of Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin kind of appropriated it for the American cause with, Poor Richard's Almanac. But where did Ben Franklin get the phrase? Where did he find it? Well, you can trace it back centuries before Ben Franklin, and you find this phrase all the way back in Aesop's Fables. Remember Aesop's Fables when you were a kid? You find it in Aesop's Fables. And there we find the phrase, and listen to this carefully because this is the original phrase. The original phrase is, the gods help those who help themselves. Let that sink in. The gods help those who help themselves. This phrase comes from idolatry, from the worship of, of idols, from the worship of false gods. Isaiah would tell us that they are nothing but wood and metal created by the hands of people. He would say they are silent. They are dumb idols. They can't speak. They can't act. They can't do anything for you. Isaiah says they can't even sit on a table without having a nail driven through their feet so they won't fall off and won't wobble over, suspended on chains. So no wonder the gods help those that help themselves because the gods can't do anything. They aren't real. Does that describe our God, though? No, that doesn't describe 
our God? Is our God helpless? Is our God just an idol sitting on a table somewhere or sitting on a shelf? No, our God is real. Our God is active. Our God is mighty to save. Our God doesn't need your help, but you desperately need His help. Our God can show grace, mercy, compassion, and our God can speak. And in verse 9, He says, My grace is sufficient for you, for My power is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. I said that to Trish one time. After Gracie was born, she said, we should have another kid. And I said, no, no. Grace is sufficient. She didn't, she didn't listen to me. We throw that word grace around a lot. And we do our best to define it. But we always come up short. You know, one of the ways we say, what does grace mean? And we'll say, grace is God's unmerited favor. And, you know, you get a gold star for that one because that's the, that's the definition. And we love that definition. Grace is unmerited favor. It sounds, it sounds good, but it's still confusing. And the word grace actually means gift, you know, and it, it means that it's a gift. And so we talk about, well, grace is a gift. And you can't earn a gift, right? You don't earn gifts. But if we were really honest, yeah, you can. You can earn a gift. How many times were you told, now you be a good girl, and I'll buy you something. You be a good girl, I'll get you a present, right? And so you were a good girl. Looking at several girls. You were a good girl, and you got a present. And you learned, if I'm good, I get a gift. So when people tell you that grace is a gift from God, you're like, well, all you got to do is be good, and God will give me a gift. Let me let you in. You don't know how to be good. You may think you know how to be good. You have no clue how to be the kind of good that God wants you to be. You don't know how to be holy. We don't know how to be good. And, and let's just admit, that's not how birthdays work. <laughs> you know, you be good, you get a nice present. It's not how Christmas works because you learned early on that if you weren't good, you got coal in your stocking, right? He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good. For goodness sake. We don't understand grace. We named our daughter Grace because she reminded us when she came along that she was a gift. She was a gift from God. But I have to say that in a lot of ways, Connor has taught me more about God's grace than anything. Connor has taught me about what it means to receive God's grace. Now, Connor's birthday is October 3rd. And the truth is, Connor doesn't care. He doesn't know that his birthday is October 3rd. To him, October 3rd is, is just another day. If you go into Connor's room, you won't find a calendar with check marks or you know, X's on it counting down the days to his birthday. He doesn't start dropping hints somewhere around the middle of September about what he wants. And when the day arrives, he is surprised. It's, it's just another day. There's no sleepless nights of anticipation waiting for his birthday. Does it still matter that it's his birthday? You bet it still matters. Does he know how to be good so he'll get a present? No. But he still gets a present. His weakness... His lack of understanding does not change the fact that I am His daddy. 
and He is worth celebrating, and He is worth a gift. And so He still gets a present because we love Him, because we celebrate Him. For that reason alone, I will give Him a gift. I will give Him whatever He wants. Now, tell me, do you understand what the grace of God is about? Do you have that in your head? You have no clue how to be good to receive a gift. But you have a Father who loves you. He celebrates you and wants to give you a gift. I hope that gives you a picture of of God's grace. And I hope you realize in your own life that there is no greater display of God's grace than your weakness. A few weeks ago, I quoted Rick Warren. And I wanted to share this quote from Rick Warren again with you. Rick Warren says, the world is impressed less with how we handle success than how we deal with suffering and adversity. Your story about how you help yourself. Your story about how you got yourself through a rough time, through a tight spot. That might impress a few people. It might even sell a few books. You might even inspire a few people to change their lives. But do you want to change someone's life? Or do you want to change someone's eternity? Which would you rather do? Do you want to change someone's life? Or do you want to change someone's eternity? Tell them the story about how you couldn't help yourself. Tell them the story about your weakness. Verse 9, Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insult, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Whatever Paul's thorn in the flesh was, whatever the weakness that Paul suffered from, it drove him to his knees at least three times. Three times he begged God to remove this thorn. If it had been you or me, that would have been the end of our story. Because our story would have been, God, I can't get past this. God, I can't get over this. I am stuck. And God, You have left me in this spot. You have not heard my prayers. And I am done. And our story would be nothing but the story of our failure and how God didn't come along and take care of us. But in the end, Paul saw it as a testimony to God's grace, God's power in his life. And ultimately, Paul's story wasn't that of a man who by his own strength of will overcame insurmountable obstacles, but a man who bowed to God's grace and in his love in all circumstances said, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because when I am weak, he is strong. The majority of us will never see that. That's just the reality we live in. Because the majority of us will never allow ourselves to be that vulnerable, to be that transparent, to where we tell the stories of our weakness. You'll never let someone else see your weakness. But I want you to know, your story of your strength. Your story about how you helped yourself. Your story about how you overcame insurmountable obstacles by your own wit and cunning, by your own understanding, by your own 
inner strength, your story about how your initiative did this, that is not the story God wants to tell about you. That's not the story that they're telling about you in heaven. That's not God's story about you. It's not the story He longs to tell. The truth is, you have obstacles in your life. The truth is, we all have roadblocks in our lives. We all have thorns that hold us back. And the reality is, the worst of the worst of them are thorns that we planted ourselves. Right? Times when we screwed up. Times when we lost our way. Times when we were very aware of just how weak we were and just how helpless we are to move mountains. How helpless we are to save ourselves. You see, that's not the end of your story. Because you have a Savior. A Savior who can move mountains. You have a Savior who is mighty to save. And at just the right time, when you were very aware of how helpless you were, He helped you. That's the story that God tells about you. That's the story that was written in His grace. And maybe today's the day when you tell that story too. Today's the day when you finally admit, I'm helpless. I am weak. I'm not strong. I can't do this myself. And if you want to tell that story, God's Word comes back again. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the Word of God. God helps those that help themselves. It sounds nice until you realize just how helpless you are. It sounds great until you realize there's nothing for you in that statement. There's nothing for you in that statement because you know how stuck you are. You know how lost you are. You know how helpless you are. That's why I'd rather go back to the Word of God and realize when I am weak, then I am strong. Because His power is made perfect in my weakness. And I can trust in His amazing grace. We're going to stand together and sing Mighty to Save. And if today, if today, today is the day you need to either tell your story or start your story. If today is the day you need to trust in the story that God tells about you, we will pray with you. We will love you through that. And we will bless you. And we will... We will listen to your story, the story of your weakness, the story of his strength. Let's sing together.